Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. No. No. Stop it. Don't. Do it. (laughs) Hi, Kate. Hello, Dominic. Do you know, every time we do this, it kind of reminds me of Frasier and um, obviously the TV show and Frasier Crane on his radio station and just his voice. Kelsey Grammer. He just has the voice for radio. He, does. he really does. <laughs> hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss their limbs and scramble day. <laughs> All over my face. <laughs> I did just say something very rude. He also has the face for radio too. <laughs> oh, got him. Ciao. No, you're, he's gorgeous. No, no. In his own way. Yeah, everyone's gorgeous in their own way. Yeah. (laughs) How are you doing, Kate? What's news? I'm doing well. Well, I'll tell you what's news. I'm a bit bloody, I'm a bit bloody miffed. That's what I am, a miffed. (laughs) Oh. Because I am a member of the North Melbourne Football Club. Thank you very much. Me and 12 others. And I... I have received a charge on my card today that is from my membership, which I've already paid. So uh, I'm curious as to what's happened. What I feel like could have happened was my little sibling Gigi went over to live in London and uh, obviously has new bank details and her membership's attached to my membership. So perhaps they've just gone. Well, we can't get money from her, so we want it from you. And that's okay. I just wish they had have let me know. Yeah, exactly. It's not a so small I've, amount of money. No. So I've requested a callback from them just to confirm what's going on. I also need to update my email, which is notoriously difficult on their online system. So I just need to have a chat with someone. So if you work for the North Melbourne Membership Department, I've just sent an email requesting a callback. Feel free to give me a ring-a-ding-ding. Enter Kate's number here. <laughs> yeah. 0444444441. Well, Kate, I'm I'm not miffed, but I'm also I'm I'm a bit nervous, and I'm sure some of our Boopod Network folks out there are probably recording episodes as we speak on this matter. But when did aliens decide to come visit us? Oh, Right? I mean, about time. <laughs> well, now that we know, we finally caught a few. Yeah, so true. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I only heard this real briefly in the news. Do you have more info for me? Because, again, you know me. I don't know anything. <laughs> well, I know nothing about it either because I still think it's all a bit flight of fancy, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, pardon the pun, but who knows? Supposedly... <laughs> Supposedly, there may be alien. Who knows? Goodness Let's knows. Bring it on. 
It's not like you can really trust anything that you see on the interwebs these days. What? Yeah. You're kidding. Yeah. Ooh. My life is a lie. It's all a lie. This <laughs> this whole podcast is a lie, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun, so who cares? Exactly. Now, let's do some housekeeping. Housekeeping. Because I got a mega story for us this week, so I'm going to be quick, smart about it. As usual, folks, please go check out Shitin, as in Shitin, dot bricks dot podcast on all of our social channels instagram tiktok they're the fun ones Sorry. and while you're at it go check out our patreon account uh, become one of our brickies and you get access to all this free content which we're gonna do one next week kate this story yes. is going to inspire us to do an extra episode love it so go do that go sign up it's only like max five bucks a month and it goes a really that's long a way. lot less than my north melbourne membership i'm going to tell you that right <laughs> now so do yourself a flavor get on there and last but not least uh as we say in our little intro a rate or review of our podcast is actually a huge thing it's our big theme our big goal for this year is we'd love just some more reviews of our podcast i mean they're all five stars anyway so we know what they're going to yeah. be come on bring it on but Give us them stars yeah, after after you listen to this epic, epic episode, just go fill out the form and say some nice things. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> do your students call you Miss Wilkinson? Uh, they call me Miss if they don't know my name, which a lot of them don't yet, and that's True. okay. Um, I do introduce myself as Miss Wilkinson, but I always follow it up with, or you can call me Miss Wilco because that's easier to say. So more uh, often than not, as the kids get to know me more, I am comfortable with them calling me Wilco, um, but only like once I've gotten to know them, I wouldn't want that. I'd like Miss Wilco first, but it's usually Miss because they can be a bit lazy and there's lots of people, which sure. I get. Sure. Lots of faces to remember. Yeah. Oh, so many. Oh, God. All right. Kate, are you ready? Hello. I was actually born ready, so. <laughs> Have a sip of your water. I'm having a sip of my wine. Okay. Ah, delightful. Mine's not as exciting. <laughs> Sounds like I have a problem. All right, folks. I am telling a story this week. Surprise, Yay. surprise. And surprise, surprise. Exactly. Oh, I love a good song. Surprise. Yeah. I'm feeling very vocal tonight. Do it. I might just add in some tunes here and there. I would like that. This is this is okay. a very musical story perfect i'm here for it i bet it's not but i'm gonna add it in anyway <laughs> i'll pre-warn you if if we get delayed i'm gonna have to cut this story in half and we can just yep. pick it up in a part two but hey let's just see how we go let's just see how we go if you feel like we need a part two we need a gosh darn part two but you you do you boo and i'm here for the ride well before i get into it this story is one of the things that I wrote down on my list of like things that I wanted to do an episode on when we first started shitting bricks, like okay, I have like been seventy episodes ago. Oh my god, it's like I'm getting all salivary about it. Like, hang on, just I'm going to pause you real quick. Is this episode sixty nine? No, <laughs> is it? Oh, is, I is think it? it might be. Oh, my God. <laughs> I actually think it might be. And I can't let that just go by the by 
let me double check real quick. Feel free to continue to. Um, <laughs> I should have done a story that's, you know, sexually related, but I've yeah. dropped the ball. Oh, it's not. We're at 68. Okay. I thought, no, yes, 68. Well, that means that you are probably going to have to do something kinky for next week. I'm going to have to do 69. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely think of something. Leave that with I'm you. Excited. See what, what okay. you can cook up, which is really funny. Yeah. If you need help, Kate, I've got years <laughs> worth of stories to tell you. <laughs> I have some literature I could share. <laughs> no. Okay. So, yes, it's an episode that you've written down 68 episodes ago that you were wanting to do. Okay, what what is it? Because the reason why is it is that perfect balance of pop culture, movie-inspired, uh, it's a homegrown story. I've been on the Ooh. roll with all the Aussie homegrown stories lately, which it. is great. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I just... It's a it's a horrific story. Sorry, folks. I, and this is your official warning. This is very graphic. This is very violent. If you know that's not your thing, or if it's triggering for you, I'm maybe don't listen to this firstly. one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm triggered also, just looking again, at Kate's face. <laughs> oh, please. Um, I get that all day, every day. So if as well, um, you know, we make some jokes at this point, you should be well aware. We do that as a cathartic response. So get on board, baby. Mm. It's a good point that you say that because I think out of all the stories or at least the true crimey, murdery, homicide whatever stories that we do do, mostly me, yeah. this is one where I genuinely feel a little like it hits very close to home because it's in an area in a time all for when I like it's it's so what I do it, it'll make sense okay. but this is right. like yeah anyway Amazing. hits home Ooh, let's dive in I'm excited all right here we go god 10 minutes haven't even started the story we're working well, on it let me introduce you to first a man named Paul Onions. Hi, Paul Onions. What a pleasure. <laughs> Go get a Lovely to meet you. Get a Go cup get of tea. A cup of tea. Lizzie is mean on a biscuit for cuppa. Do yourself a Lizzie. favor. Lizzie. Lizzie. Onions is coming. Scotch fingers, put the, please. Put the put the blanket on the couch. Okay? We don't want any mess. Actually. He deserves a Monte Carlo. That's how Ooh, much we get like the him. the Montes out, Lizzie. <laughs> she's on it. She's like, she's going to pop down the shop, get some mm. Monte Carlos. Now, just like Donkey from Shrek, Paul Onions has layers. That was a two-layered joke and I really enjoyed it. And I used the third layer just then. That was, <laughs> that was very good. Well done. Who doesn't love a Shrek reference when we're going to talk about homicide and torture? Let's do it. Meta. And if this was episode 69, Donkey would have added oh. a whole other thing. Oh, a Spanish donkey. Yes. Now, Paul Onions. This is and this is a bit of a throwback to our first ever test episode two, Kate. Remember, um, forgotten the forgotten the name. You might be able to find it, but yeah, it's a hitchhiking story. So Paul Onions was hitchhiking from Sydney to Mildura. In January 1990. Ooh, 1990. What a year. Great yeah. year for film. 
Great year for film. Now, Sydney, folks, is about eight hours, nine hours north, north east of Melbourne. And Mildura yep. is back down towards, you know, our way. So Sydney to Mildura in January, but a friendly stranger with a handlebar moustache offered him a lift at a shop near Mittagong. I go by there all the time, which is a tiny town in the New South Wales Southern Highlands. Okay. Now, again, this is like so connected to last week, it's Kate, so because bushfire yes. area. I know. Colleen Stan, by the way, that was our first test episode. There you go. Now, Mr. Onions soon got a bad feeling about Sorry, his. Sorry, I just love Mr. Onions. It's like... <laughs> Mr. Right, Onions. So Mr... <laughs> Hello, Mr. Onions. So he's gotten into the car with someone with a handlebar mustache. Yeah, Miss Porkchop was driving the car. <laughs> no, someone with a handlebar mustache picked him up. But just like Colleen Stan, that like instinctual thing kicked in where I've just got a bad feeling. Yeah. So this would-be Good Samaritan all of a sudden just flipped the script and started making offensive jokes, racist comments, just, you Fruit know. and vegetable gags. Sure. Like it was sensitive. <laughs> Con the fruiterer. Oh. <laughs> Bloody beautiful. <laughs> God, uh, go look up Con the Fruiterer, everyone that's not from Australia. Go look please. up Con the Fruiterer. Please. It's so oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as the white Toyota Land Cruiser, classic Australian thing, classic. approached Belangelo, Belangelo State Forest, the driver slowed down and pulled over saying he would get some tapes to put some music on. So this is cassette tapes. Mm. If, I hope you all know what that they are. But the odd thing was is that the cassette tapes were actually already in between the two of them on the bench seat in front uh, of them. Second red flag, yeah. handlebar moustache and cassette tapes outside the car when I could see them right there. Yeah. Now, suddenly, all of a sudden, handlebar moustache guy pulls out a gun and a length of rope telling the then 23-year-old that this is a robbery. No. So Onions is only 23. Yeah. Wowie. All right. Pipsqueak. This is a robbery. Now, the young Englishman who had spent five years in the Navy didn't know that he was facing a man named Ivan Malat. Ivan. I've heard that name. You have. A dangerous serial killer who had killed his first victims just weeks earlier and would eventually be convicted of murdering in total, seven people. Oh, I did okay. just put up eight fingers and corrected. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's Tuesday while we're recording this. It's early in the week. Give yourself a break. And we know we're not good at maths on this We are podcast. not good at math. I know nothing about any topic and we're both not good at math. Yeah, but between us, we've got four hands, four feet, 40. And 16 fingers yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> We should be okay as long as we don't go higher than that. (laughs) Oh, poor onions. Now, Paul instinctively realised that he was in terrible danger. (laughs) No way. Oh, a gun and a rope. I don't think this is going downhill, this hitchhiking gig. You want to play Cluedo just on the side of the street? (laughs) Sure. Why not? Real life Clue. 
Now, when he'd seen the rope, so in his own words, when I seen the rope, he's not good at English, even though he's from England. Oh, wow. When I seen the rope, that just scared me more than the gun, he said in 1996. And as soon as I seen the rope, again, bad grammar, I thought that's going to take a bit of time and he's going to do whatever he wants to me. Oh. So Mr. Onions panicked and he ran. Yeah, fair. I just thought this is it, run or die. So I undid my seatbelt, jumped straight out of the vehicle and just ran. The yeah, Englishman, they're in the middle of nowhere here too. Right. Like yeah. they're near a state forest. Like there's not, there's no cassette stores nearby. So <laughs> Ivan was telling a fib. No yep. sanity. Nothing. <laughs> or R.O.P. Oh, sanity. sanity. So in his own words, he said, I thought, just run. This is it. Run or die. Did undo his seatbelt, jumped out and just ran. Now the Englishman heard the gun go off as he ran away. Ivan shot at him while he tried to stop passing vehicles. So, okay, so like, there are Ivan's, other people. Yeah, but Ivan's just going, He's going like for that. it. Now, Mr. Onions desperately tried to flag down passing cars before a motorist finally stopped for him, just as he had decided to jump in front of the next one. And it was another man with a handlebar mustache <laughs> and cassette tapes littering and, the car. Imagine he, that bad luck. Could you imagine if you escaped one serial killer and then you just like hopped into someone else's car and they turned out to also be a serial killer? That yeah. would be a bonkers story. Do you know what? If any of our listeners, assuming that you all are true crime fanatics as well, if you know sure. of a story where something like that has happened, yeah. please write well, in and let us know. Please tell us because we want to tell that story. <laughs> Out of the frying pan and into the fire. That's the episode name. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Now, at the same time of his escape, Mr. Onions was terrified and trembling as he got into the car of his saviour, Joanne Berry of Canberra. Okay, thanks, Joanne. She was an avid boggle player. (laughs) (laughs) She had hungry, hungry hippos on the front seat and she's like, do you want to play? (laughs) At least it's hungry, hungry hippos, not Clue, not real life Clue. Oh, fuck, imagine if it was like life. Oh, oh, I love that game. You you introduced me to that game. I know. <laughs> yeah, Joanne, I'm being shot at. Do you want to play a game of life? I'd love to. Let's do it. Yeah, again, he says, I was trembling and close to tears and I said to the woman driver, just drive, he's got a gun. Oh, I would have planted the, the foot. I yeah, yeah. Wouldn't have even stopped. Nah. <laughs> Flung the door open. Yeah. Will Smith, bad boy star, rolled into the car. Yep. Let's Gone. do it. Gone. Bad boys, bad boys. What you what gonna, gonna do? do? What, what you gonna, gonna do when we come for you? you? <laughs> that was great. Now that that's our first musical interlude for this episode. Like Prepare the whitest. For many more. It really was, wasn't it? <laughs> the whitest I was rendition. Literally bobbing up and <laughs> snapping my fingers. Oh, out of sync. So has Joanne taken off So or as did the, she sort of sit there? Yeah. As the car sped off, I just remember this stupid grin on Ivan's face and that look has stayed with me ever since, Paul says. Yeah, I can't imagine that, you know, Onions is forgetting that anytime soon. No. That's now, Joanne, really- a grandmother, 
drove him to the nearest police station in Bowral, a small town in New South Wales, where he gave a report of his ordeal. Good. New South Wales police, however, did not, I repeat, did not immediately act on Paul's report, and it sat in a drawer for years as Ivan killed at least five more victims. They couldn't even spare one patrol, like one Nissan patrol to go tootling up the highway to go and see if they could find a man with a gun, a rope, a handful of cassette tapes and a handlebar moustache. Yep. I kind of, these are those stories where you, you kind of go, you could have cracked the case, kid. Yeah. You could have saved five people's lives if you just had a centre patrol car. But also, in that instance, if someone came into the police station and said that, I can't imagine that that's like a, a low-key priority. I feel as though that would be something that you'd want to investigate pretty quick, at least go for a bit of a drive. Like what? And you know, there's witnesses. Yeah. Like there's Joanne. Onions is like he had a gun and a rope and threatened to, you know, he said this is a robbery. He's a criminal. Go get mm-hmm. him. Yep. <laughs> Australia, dropping the ball. I'm very disappointed in you, police of New South Wales during 1990. Just saying. Now, years later, back home in the UK, Mr. Onions saw reports of bodies found in the Belangolo State Forest on the news and contacted the Australian Federal Police who flew him back to Australia where he became the star witness in the soon-to-be Ivan Milat trial. Well, a little bit too late. Yeah, but his evidence was key to Ivan's conviction in 1996. That's great. just wanted to... Pause, give everyone a moment to swallow that hard pill that, you know, Paul's harrowing story is, like, scary enough. But we're going to go back in time and unpack all of this. So that was just the happenstance from whence it all started to unravel? Yeah, I thought we should start with Paul's, you know, short but sweet, well, not so sweet, story. Well, he escaped. That's good. Yes. Now, who is Ivan Milat? I don't know. He was born Ivan Robert Marco Milat on the 27th of December 1944 at Crown Street Women's Hospital in Guildford, Australia, and was the son of a Croatian immigrant and labourer. His father's name was Stephen Milat and his mother, an Australian, Margaret Elizabeth Piddleston, who they got married when she was 16. That's young, but maybe not that. Is No, is it? It's not that. I don't know. That's still young. It's young. I was trying to work out the timing. That's young. Okay, cool. Full stop. <laughs> now, Ivan was the fifth of 14. That's one, four. Whoa. <laughs> and a 10 from me, so that's 14. There you go. <laughs> that's so many. But she would have started young potentially. She was probably only 21 when she finished having 14 kids. Yeah, it's pretty That's intense. awful. But, yes, Ivan was the fifth of 14 and the impoverished family first lived in a rural weatherboard cottage farm with a dirt floor in Bosley Park, 36 kilometres west of Sydney, New South Wales, before relocating to Liverpool. Okay. By Still in Australia, not Liverpool, yes. UK. Yeah. No. 
Yeah. Now, by all accounts, the parents were conscientious in raising and educating and disciplining their children and sent them all to private Roman Catholic schools. Hashtag relate. However, family members described Milat's father, Stephen, as being quiet and having a temper due to his alcoholism. Many of the 10 Malat boys were well known to local police and were used to handling knives and firearms and spent their afternoons shooting at targets in their parents' yard. Siblings recalled Malat Ivan displaying antisocial and psychopathic behaviour at a very young age, such as, you guessed it, attacking animals with machetes during their childhood. And it led to a stint in a residential school at the age of 13. Mm, okay. Now, by age 17, Ivan was in a juvenile detention centre for theft and at age 19, he was involved in a shop break-in. In 1964, he was sentenced to 18 months for breaking and entering and a month after release, he was arrested for driving a stolen car and sentenced to two years hard labour. I can't say that these little stints in juvie and prison necessarily doing the trick? No. Mm. Rehabilitation who? I don't know her. <laughs> Rehabilitation shouldn't. Wait, that didn't work. Rehabilitation shouldn't. That, there we go. That was better. Well, that was good. <laughs> now, in September 67, age 22, he was sentenced to three years for theft on On the 7th of April, 1971, Ivan abducted two young 18-year-old female hitchhikers near Liverpool train station with a knife. He raped one of them before they stopped at a petrol station cafe. And with the help of the men from inside, they managed to escape. And Ivan was arrested later that day and was charged with one count of rape and two counts of armed robbery. Okay. That's it's only good. 71. Like we are, yeah. we got 19 years to go. Oh my God. Okay. While awaiting trial, he was involved in a string of robberies with some of his brothers before faking his suicide by leaving his shoes at a place called The Gap, which is a renowned Sydney suicide hotspot. Wow. After this, Authorities believe that Ivan fled to Queensland, then Victoria, before flying to New Zealand, where he lived for two years. Okay, so they knew that he didn't kill himself. He just popped his shoes there. This is retrospectively. They're like, we believe, yeah. Gotcha. How did he get to New Zealand? I mean, it's the 70s. It's not exactly like, yeah. It's not Fort Knox. Put on a handlebar moustache and you're anyone. (laughs) I am Joey Sanchez. May I come to your land of the clouds? (laughs) Yeah, you know, look, I wasn't alive back then, so I couldn't tell you, but I can imagine international travel, especially between somewhere like, you know, as long as you've got the money, yeah, Yeah. whatever. You say that that's your name. I'm sure you can pop to Officeworks and get a passport made up real super quick. Yeah, definitely. No problems. Because I think office works were quite big in the 70s. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I want to know when office works opened. <laughs> Kate will look that up for us. I certainly will. 
Um, so yeah, he lived there for two years. However, during this time, it is suspected that Ivan may have returned surreptitiously using a fake passport from Officeworks and lived interstate to avoid detection. He was arrested in 1974 after his mother was taken to hospital suffering from a heart attack, but the robbery and kidnap cases against him failed at trial with the help of the Malatz family lawyer, John Marsden. I feel like it, John Marsden. Um, not the I author. feel like not the, okay. <laughs> I feel like he would have been a busy lawyer maybe. Yeah. So this is 1974. Office sure. Works didn't open. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> sure it was. This is nineteen seventy-four. Office works didn't open for another twenty years. Nineteen ninety-four office works opened. Mm. Well Office doesn't work. Made the past. Before ninety four. <laughs> That's the best joke I could cook up there. <laughs> so John, that was great. I really enjoyed it. So John Marsden has been treading the boards in the courthouse um before he wrote Tomorrow When the War Began. And is saving all the Malat children from their crims as well as, you know, their severe crims, which mm. Ivan has continued to commit through this whole time. And, spent and not really paid time. for, yeah. No, he spent very little time in prison. And also, how's the, like, rehabilitation, like you say? A month later, he's like, oh, sorry, I forgot I'm not allowed to steal cars and rob people. My bad. Yep. Let alone, as we all know, everyone listening would know, things like rape, especially way underrepresented in terms of, you know, punishment. Of criminality and so on. back yeah. in there. Okay, got you. Now, Ivan took on a job as a truck driver in 1975, and by the time of his arrest, he had worked on and off for the Roads and Traffic Authority for 20 years. I'm going to pause there for a second, Kate, just to flag something that may or may not freak you out a little bit. Okay. Are you related to Ivan Milat? No. Oh, okay. I sure as hell hope Good. not. But <laughs> Uh-oh. yours and I's grandfather was a yeah. truck driver during the 70s between Melbourne and Sydney and probably did, beyond. Did he work for the same company? It is quite possible that our grandfather. What is the name of the company? So he what worked for again? Roads and Traffic Authority. All right. I don't know if that's he only drove for but, them or what. Yeah, but, or a lot of. All right, I'm going to have to text my mummy. But I just wanted to flag the now, fact that oh there is God. a possibility that they may have well, passed each other on the road. Our grandpapa, Butch, he very yeah. well could have bloody radioed with him. Yep. Oh, gosh. Okay. We're going to have to ask our mums. Yeah. Okay. Now, in 1977, Ivan unsuccessfully attempted to rape and murder two other women who were hitchhiking from Liverpool to Canberra, but he was never charged yet again. Okay. Let me introduce you to not a person, but... okay. I was going to get them involved with the cups of tea and the wine. I was ready to start screaming Lizzie. You can get like a Tim Tam or something. You don't know. Okay. This, this is the, what would soon be known or what Ivan is known for as the backpacker murders. Okay. 
All right. Now that's ringing bells. Yeah. So yeah, when you were saying that you were going to do Ivan Milat, I was like, I definitely know that name and I know he killed people. But aside from that, I don't know a lot. Um, but now putting those two together, I'm, I, I know exactly the same amount, but that those two things go together. <laughs> <laughs> one and one equals what? Backpacking handlebar mustache. <laughs> tick, tick. Angus. Also, can I say, in terms of when you go, oh, you know, Ivan Milat manages to get 20 years of solid employment as a truck driver. Truck driver for someone like him too, another red flag, red flag. Like hitchhikers are his bag, baby. Mm-hmm. So he just spends all his living hours on the road searching for young ladies trying to get to Liverpool. Absolutely. Okay. Now, a bit of background on the backpacker murders if if anyone listening has never heard of it or if you you know need some <laughs> That's me. some background info I'd love some background info By the time of the initial discoveries in the Belangolo State Forest several backpackers had been reported missing people go mm-hmm. missing all the time in Australia and Belangolo like I drive past there at least 3 or 4 times a year like okay. it's you know it's it's not it's not like in the middle of the desert Australia. Sure. But it's still bush. We would call it bush. Yeah. Now, one case involved a young Victorian couple from Frankston. Hey. Uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's That's close. very close to us. Deborah Everest, 19, and James Gibson, 19, who had been missing since leaving Sydney for Confest near Albury, on the 30th of December, 1989. Another related to Simone Schmidl, 21 from Germany, who had been missing since leaving Sydney for Melbourne on the 20th of January, 1991. And similarly, a German couple, Gabor Nürgebauer, 21, and Anja Habstied, Perfect. 20, had disappeared after leaving a King's Cross hostel which I stayed at, for Mildura on the 26th of December, 1991. Okay, so that's our five victims. So far. Another involved missing British backpackers, Caroline Clark, 21, and Joanne Walters, 22, who were last seen in King's Cross on the 18th of April, 1992. So they're the seven. All right. How were they discovered? So on the 19th of September, 1992, two runners discovered a concealed corpse while orienteering in Belangolo. The following morning, police discovered a second body 30 metres from the first. Yeah, police quickly confirmed via dental records that the bodies were those of Clark and Walters, the last two, the British two. Yeah. Walters had been stabbed 15 times, four times in the chest, once in the neck, and nine times in the back, which would have paralysed her. Clark had been shot 10 times in the head at the burial site, and police believe she had been used as target practice. I was about to say, that's too many times. Mm -hmm. I am not an expert. But I am of the understanding that if you shoot someone in the head twice, is probably max, probably tops you'd need. Because yeah. if you accidentally miss maybe a little bit the first time and that you just fatally wound them or you give them some issues, 
twice, I think, is enough. Ten unless, times. Yeah, unless Sorry, you're that yeah. guy from The World Is Not Enough. Yeah. I mean, that was only once. I feel a second bullet would have sorted him out. Yeah. But, yeah, he just got to live while a bullet just slowly kept moving inside of his head. He got a he got a nuclear pole shot through his chest yeah, at his the chest. end, didn't he? He did, yeah. Yeah. Now, after a thorough search of the forest, investigators ruled out the possibility of further discoveries within Belangelo State Forest. What? Just because they looked at a 30-metre square area and went, oh, there's no more. Yeah. And how, like, I'm going to, I'll answer my very own question. How big is Belangelo? How do you spell it? How big? I'm going to try and spell it. Here we go. Is Belang, B-A-N-A-N-A-S, this shit. Is bananas belangelo. B E L A N G L O. Hey, I was pretty close. How big is B-E- it? Kate? B E. B E L. Three thousand eight hundred hectares. And if you were listening last week, <laughs> a hectare. <laughs> I knew it was coming. A hectare is two point. Four acres. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to know how many tennis courts that is, <laughs> go back. Go back and look at our social media from last week. But yeah, okay. So they've literally gone, oh, 30 square meters is enough in this 3.8, oh, 3,800 hectare state forest. Couldn't possibly be another body in here. Let's call mm-hmm. it a day. So on that note, on the 5th of October, 1993, Mm-hmm. A local man searching for firewood discovered bones in a particularly remote section of the forest. What a shock. He returned with police to the scene where two bodies were quickly discovered and later identified as Gibson and Everest. The first two. Were they two. the first two? Okay, that the first couple. They mm-hmm. were 19. That's right. Gotcha. Good okay, the little the little youngies. Gotcha. From Franger. From Frangadonga. Oh my god. Gibson's skeleton was found in a fetal position. It showed eight stab wounds. A large knife had cut through his upper spine, causing paralysis. And stab wounds to his back and chest would have punctured his heart and lungs. So not a good time. No. It's so brutal. It's so brutal. Like it's too many times. Again, not an expert, but it's so many times. This is rage-filled, like psychosis like this is this is a lot everest had been savagely beaten her skull was fractured in two places her jaw was broken and there were knife marks on her forehead she had also been stabbed once in the back the presence of gibson's body in belangelo puzzled investigators as his camera had previously been discovered on the 31st of december 1989 so that's four years ago yeah and his backpack later on the 13th of march 1990 by the side of the road at golston gorge in the northern sydney suburbs over 120 kilometers to the north okay so I was going to say, you know, finding those things, they're not going to go looking for his body, but you're saying 120 kilometres away. So, yeah, it is a needle in a haystack situation. Yeah. But that's surely alarm bells. So I'm pleased that these people who are discovering these items are drawing them to the police's attention. Yeah, he would have been just mar- they would have been just marked as missing. and Yeah, 
and never, never. Where are you going to look? Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. Yeah. Now on the first of November, nineteen ninety-three, so about a month later, uh-huh. a skeleton was found in a clearing along a fire trail in the forest during a police sweep. Okay. It was later identified as that of Schmidl, the first. German backpacker, German backpacker. Yep. and bore at least eight stab wounds. Uh. Two had severed her spine and others would have punctured her heart and lungs. Jesus Christ. Clothing found at the scene was not Schmidl's but matched that of another missing backpacker, Habsheed. Yeah. The bodies of both of them were, were then found on a nearby fire trail on the 4th of November 1993 in shallow graves 50 metres apart. Habsheed had been decapitated and despite an extensive search, her skull was never found and Nergbauer had been shot in the head six times. And what? there was evidence that some of the victims did not die instantly from their oh, injuries. No. Okay, maybe six times isn't enough. So all of a sudden in like, you know, what, a two-year Yeah, the space period. of like two years, they've found all this stuff. Yeah, right. Especially those ones where it was like, you know, a month later, you know, they find some in the October and then November. Yeah. So now to find our serial killer. Now. Yeah. Can I, it, can I throw out a guess? Yeah. Who do you think it's going to be? With who's it going to be? Where's it going to be? And with what weapon? <laughs> I think it was Paul Onions in the Toyota Land Cruiser with the cassette tape. I'm putting those choices into my envelope (laughs) and I am placing it on the board. Will Kate win? Will I win? Tune in now. (laughs) I mean, you should have been tuning in because you'd be lost if you just started now. (laughs) If you've skipped ahead to this point in the episode. (laughs) Actually, that could be a fun game. Like you, you missed the start, so you don't know what we're going to talk about. Skip to the last twenty minutes and try and pick up what, what's what going are they on. About? <laughs> I tell you what, if you listen to this from the beginning to the end, sometimes you won't know what's going on either. So it's just a, it's a fun game. Do you know what? I kind of want to start reading out like a recipe on how to make lamingtons, just, <laughs> just to the confuse middle. the person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it. All right. We might put that on social media if you want to know how to make lamingtons. Yeah. Now, examination of the remains showed evidence that some of the victims had been tortured, obviously. Yeah. In response, on the 14th of October 1993, Task Force Air, containing more than 20 detectives and analysts, were set up by the New South Wales Police. About fucking torn. Yeah. Who makes up the names for the Task Force? I don't know. What would this Some one think have been tank? called? Yeah. Task Force Air? Is Task that what it's Force called? Lamington. Oh. <laughs> Task Force Handlebar. On the 5th of November, the New South Wales government increased the reward in relation to the killings to 500,000 Aussie dollars. Okay. After developing their profile of the killer, the police faced an enormous volume of data from numerous sources. Investigators applied link analysis technology and as a result, the list of suspects was narrowed from a short list of 230 to an even shorter list of 32. Oh, that's much more tenable. Speculation arose that the crimes were the work of serial killers, given that most of the victims had been attacked while as pairs 
and had been killed in different ways and buried separately. Mm-hmm. So there was always this evidence that suggested that there was more than one person. Okay, one person, right. Just okay. keep that in mind, folks. It's locked away in my noggin. On the 13th of November, police were contacted by Paul Onions, old mate. Onions, old mate Onions. Waiting patiently in the waiting room. In the wings, very good. He was 24. He was in the United Kingdom. He'd flown back home a few earlier. A few years. <laughs> <laughs> he flew back home a few earlier, and yeah, now yeah. he is here in the presence. And it was a, t- a good time for onions. Thank you. A few years earlier, on 25th of January 1990, Onions had been backpacking in Australia and while hitchhiking from Liverpool Station towards Mildura, had accepted a ride south of the Casula from a man known only as Bill. Oh, it's not Bill. It's Ivan. Mm. South of the town of Minigong and less than one kilometre from Belangelo State Forest, Bill stopped and pulled out a revolver and some ropes stating it was a robbery at which point Onions managed to flee while Bill shot at him. You've just done that thing like in those really cool um, docos and movies and stuff when they like do the thing at the start and then they go back and they tell the story and then the part you've already seen fits in. You go, it makes so much more sense. You're welcome. I've had some time to think about this one. Well done. Onions, as we know, flagged down a passing motorist, Joanne Berry, playing Boggle and Hungry Hippos. Berry the Boggler. And together they describe. (laughs) 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 Oh, goodness. Oh, I'm going to get a t shirt that says Berry the Boggler. Oh, that tickled me sideways. I like that. All I'm going to get. And together they described the assailant and his vehicle to the Barrel Police. Yeah, they did. 13th of April, 1994, detectives refound the note. The note. The note. It's literally a scratching on the back of a receipt from the kebab shop. Regarding Paul Onion's call. Onion's statement was corroborated by Barry, the bubbler, <laughs> along with the girlfriend of a man who worked with Ivan Milat. Oh, okay. Mm. So, a lot of evidence, eh? Now, yeah, police, you would think so, yeah. Yeah. Now, police surveillance of the Milat house at Cinnabar Street, Eagle Vale, commenced on the 26th of February, 1994. Mm-hmm. Police learned that Ivan had recently sold his silver, you guessed it, Nissan Patrol. Did I really? Oh, yes. That's the other car that you find anywhere in rural Australia. It's either a Toyota Land Cruiser or a Nissan Patrol. Full stop. Bang. Which one in the UK, which one would you prefer? Land Cruiser. Hmm. I'd be a Toyota gal. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. if Top Gear has taught us anything, Toyotas last forever. Precisely. Precisely. Now, it was a four-wheel drive, obviously, uh, but he sold it shortly after the discovery of the bodies of Clark and Walters, the last two. Yep, okay. Police also confirmed that Ivan had not been working on any of the days of the attacks, and acquaintances also told police that Ivan's obsession with weapons. Mm -hmm. 
When the connection between the Belangolo murders and Onion's experience was made, Paul flew to Australia to help with the investigation. Okay. And on May 5th, 1994, Onions positively identified Ivan as the man who had picked him up and attempted to murder him. Nice. That's a good, that's nice evidence as well, having an eyewitness. And do you know what they could have done, Dom? Seeing as this is 1994, they could have popped down to Officeworks <laughs> and made some photocopies of that statement because they're now open. Get some shares in Officeworks. Yeah. Oh. Or Apple or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Goggle. We need the um we need the almanac. The sports almanac. I just made Kane watch Back to the Future for the first time ever in his life. Stop it. Right? Did he enjoy it? Yeah, he did. Okay, thank God. That was that was <laughs> that was we were on the we were on the precipice there of some serious business. <laughs> Cancel the engagement when I Cancel the engagement. That's it. I will not have it. <laughs> well, he enjoyed it to the point where he didn't stop it and walk out of the room. So that's pretty good. Okay, that's good. I feel yeah. like that's a positive review. Now, Ivan was arrested at his home on the 22nd of May on robbery and weapon charges related to the Paul Lungan's attack after 50 police officers surrounded the house. Okay. The search of Ivan's home revealed various weapons, including a .22 caliber Unschutz model rifle. Mm-hmm. Don't know, Good for you shooting know rabbits. There you go. Yeah, because they're small caliber. A .22 is little. So if you have like a twenty-two revolver, it's a they call it the ladies' gun because it oh. fits in your purse. Oh. But like ladies aren't the only people who can have purses. Right? Right? I've got a few. Yeah. You can put a twenty-two on any of your purses. And there was also parts of a, a twenty-two caliber Ruger rifle that matched the type used in the murders. Okay. There was also a browning pistol and a bowie knife. So that seems pretty good. Yeah. Also uncovered were items belonging to several of his victims. Well. Here we go. That's it. That's the, that's got to be the catch. Hit me with it. What are the things? Tell me what he's got. Homes belonging also to his mother and five of his brothers were also searched, uncovering several more items belonging to the victims. Oh, yep. I'm not going to go into the detail of all the things found I'm going to guess of... uh, shoes, a hat, a handkerchief, a purse, a watch, pocket watch, a torch, <laughs> and a lint, ball of lint, um, tickets to the train, a key to the hostel room, and a pair of sunglasses. Sure. Let's go with that. Yes. <laughs> right. Every single one. <laughs> now, Malat appeared in court on the 23rd of May, but he did not enter a plea. On the 31st of May, Ivan was also charged with seven backpacker murders. So they obviously used the weapons and the robbery stuff as a gateway thing to get and then yep. charged him further. Ivan sacked his defence lawyer. Oh, John James Marston. Marston. That's James what Marston. caused him to go ahead and write that book. Exactly. He's like, I'm and out of a gig. <laughs> and on the 28th of June, and he sought legal aid to pay for his defence. Meanwhile, brothers Richard and Walter Malat were tried in relation to weapons, drugs, and stolen items found on their properties. 
A committal hearing for Ivan regarding the murders began on the 24th of October and lasted until the 12th of December, during which over 200 witnesses appeared. Jesus. And based on the evidence at the beginning of February 1995, Ivan was remanded in custody until June that same year. Good. The trial opened at the Supreme Court of New South Wales in Sydney on the 26th of March 1996 and was prosecuted by Mark Tedeschi. Despite the overwhelming evidence against him, Ivan is reported as having been confident he would be found innocent. Uh. In phone recordings made for the Australian Broadcasting Commission's Australian Story Program in 2004, Ivan stated his grounds for believing he would be found innocent at trial, saying, my basic defence in my trial was that it wasn't me. I, I don't know who did it, and it was up to them to prove my guilt, not for me to prove my innocence. Oh, good one. The old it wasn't, but the shaggy defence. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was I'm watching that. I was watching Kane's teaching me to watch South Park because I haven't, I've really never watched South Park. Okay. And I watched this episode where there's the eggplant. Is it the eggplant defense or the elephant defense or no, the Chewbacca defense? There's this episode oh. where <laughs> they, he just puts up a thing of Chewbacca and he's just like, this has got nothing to do. But if this has got nothing to do with the case, then, then of course it's innocent. Everyone's innocent. Everyone's this, innocent. Is, this is useless. But there's the che- this is Chewbacca, and if Chewbacca's fake, then everything is fake, or oh, whatever it was. That's great. This I haven't seen South Park since the 90s. Yeah. Good show, now, though. Uh, his, no, that's what he said about his, his innocence. Yeah, it, it, the shaggy defence. wasn't me. Yeah. His defence argued that in spite of the evidence, there was a non-circumstantial proof Malat was guilty there was no non-circumstantial proof that Ivan was guilty and attempted to shift the blame to other members of his family, particularly Richard. Oh, his brother, the oldest Poor one. Poor Dick, yeah. Poor Dick. <laughs> 145 witnesses took the stand, including members of the Malat family who endeavoured to provide alibis. Oh, okay. Wait, 145 people tried to alibi him or just his family tried to just alibi him when 145 other people said they definitely saw him doing something? And he's like, oh, Your Honour, I swear though, it wasn't me. Yeah. 145 people must be wrong and my two family members must be right. You've got to believe me here. So these are people that also may have been approached. Of course. Or potentially picked up or yeah. potentially murdered. So. Just think of those numbers, scale of numbers, right, mm-hmm. of we're only talking about seven convicted here. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And the Belangolo State Forest is big. Big. Now, on the 18th of June, Ivan gave evidence himself, and on the 27th of July, 96, after 18 weeks of testimony, a jury found Ivan guilty of the murders. Yay. He was given a life sentence on each count without the possibility of parole, he was Excellent. also convicted of the attempted murder, false imprisonment and robbery of Paul Onions, for which he received six years jail each. Oh, wow. And were they um, consecutive or concurrent? Concurrent. Okay. I believe. I mean, they're life sentences, so it's like hmm. you're going away, pal. All right. I 
think I might just have to call it there, folks, because okay. we're at 55 minutes on the dot and Boom. we are only halfway through, not even halfway through. There is some pretty explosive things to come. And I want to know what happened. What I find the scariest about all of this is still yet to come. So Ooh, okay. you're going to have to wait a whole two weeks, folks, for part two. You are. It's of true. the Ivan Milat saga. Woohoo! <sighs> Thank you so much, Dom. That was great. I am learning. It's, I mean, I look, like I know we've been laughing a lot this episode, but I think the reason why yeah. we're laughing more this episode is because it is just so horrific. It's obscene. And, lo- and it's local. And we, Kate and I, have grown up with this story. It is very, yeah, close to yeah. all of us. We know people that live in the area. It's, Absolutely. But I think too, you know, if you can't bloody laugh, what's the bloody point? We're obviously not laughing at any of the victims. We're not laughing at Ivan. We're not trying to make light of it. It's just, it's just so horrid, but I've always wanted to tell the story and we are funny. I'm excited to hear the second part. I want to know because obviously I would have thought that up until the point where he's convicted and goes to prison, that would be the end. But you're telling me there's a whole other half that is not the end? There's even more investigation and there's also oh what what happens to Ivan. And I also do want to pause for a little moment and just make sure we prop- properly acknowledge all the victims too, just because. Cool. But we will save that for next Next, next time. Week. Next, next no, time. We're going to do episode 69. Yeah. <laughs> Hot diggity dog, baby. All right, my lovely, you have done such a great job. Thank you so much for your story today. And hey, listeners, now that we're done, uh, just give us five stars, why don't you? Oh, Go thank ahead. you for reminding me, Kate. That's so You're good. Welcome. No problems. And um, you know what? We're going to see you very soon. And I'm going to have to use my cuckoo brain to come up with something for our episode number 69 because it's funny. And um, <laughs> I will see you then. Oh, I love you so much. Well, maybe Bye. we'll do something together. <laughs> yeah. Wait. That's illegal, Dominic. Yeah, actually. We're cousins. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Christ. All right, folks. Love oh, you. sorry, everyone. <laughs> love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. I love bo- you. Boggle, boggle, boggle. See you, Barry Boggler. <laughs> Barry Boggler. That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.